0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee Podcast, Conversations for Transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I have my uh, regular recurring special guest with me, Dr. Daniel Berger, and he watched my uh, interview with Dr. Miriam Grossman and sent me an email and said, Hey, I want to talk about this as well. And of course, what we're going to do here is we're going to blend two things. Uh, We also want to talk about the documentary by Matt Walsh, which most of you have watched called What is a Woman? So I think my my tentative title for this episode is going to be, What is a Woman Biblically Speaking? And so, Daniel, welcome to the episode.
1: Thanks for having me back, Rick.
0: All right, so you you watched the interview with Dr. Grossman, a lovely lady. I like her uh, so much, uh, just a wonderful woman. I enjoyed my conversation with her. Of course, uh, I did ask her, uh, you know, if she was a Christian, she said uh, she's a a jewish uh, lady and that she believes in the torah that it was divinely given by god Uh, she's also a secular uh she's a medical doctor Uh, in psychiatry. And so that has been her field, and that is also her religious presupposition. And so that documentary, which many people have watched now and have enjoyed, uh, but it is from a secular perspective. And so you viewed it, and then you viewed uh, Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman?, which is also an excellent documentary for what it's for, for what it was designed to be. Uh, but there hasn't been a discussion of what is a woman gender dysphoria uh, from a biblical perspective. And I, I don't think there's anybody better that can communicate that uh, to us than you. And so I'm going to let you have the floor. Uh, maybe I can just start with this question. What is a woman? And then we will just go from there.
1: Yeah, if, if, if you don't mind me giving a, a little critique of the documentary, um as as we go along here uh from a biblical lens i think that's that's my biggest critique i think um it was well written um i was very dissatisfied personally with how it ended uh and if i can too rick you're you're so skilled at kind (laughs) of simplifying the 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 large words that i use but I'll, i'll try to do it as well but feel free to please um as you well do interject but uh there, there's a uh, I thing called a tautological argument. If you watch the rewatch the documentary, uh, Matt Walsh talks about the circular reasoning and the vast. I think right. one of the one of the key points that I loved about the documentary was that you have to use the word woman to define woman, and you, you can't use a term to define a term. It's it's a tautological right. argument.
0: Right. The
1: problem the problem I have is as you go through and you you see that each and every uh, secular that was interviewed, uh, they do that, right? What what is a woman? Who, someone who feels like a woman, someone who is a woman, like, but that doesn't answer the question. And in in the end, uh, where I f- felt like it felt short, and really, I, I I walked away empty. Was he he interviews Jordan Peterson, and Jordan Peterson basically says, "Hey, when you when you marry one, you'll know." So Matt Walsh flies back home interviews, his wife says, hey, I, something I've been meaning to ask you. And I I, I don't know, I'm not quoting verbatim, but I know there's two words she use, uses. She says an adult female, uh, essentially. And there was, there was some other things she filled in there. But female is a replacement term for, it would be like saying, what is a female? Uh, woman right. and female are not different terms. And so I felt like she gave the exact same answer that everyone else did, but he was satisfied seemingly with, with that and the, the documentary ends. And I think I think it's vital that we understand, and I'm i I think Matt Matt Walsh is a, a Roman Catholic, if I'm not mistaken, but a, a true okay, so a truly biblical Judeo Judeo Christian definition, if you would, of a woman has to go back to uh, another big word. Uh, ontology, which is the the study of substance. And I would include, and I do include creation in that because um, existence is also a topic of ontology. And and so Genesis one through three has to be where we start defining what a woman is. And I think that's where the documentary really falls short is of course, there's there's no biblical perspective on this. Um, All right,
0: so, so here's the question then, Daniel. What is a woman?
1: <laughs> well, uh, let me start by saying, let's take the terms female and woe, man. And I, I know the the viewer, if they just stop here, they're going to be really upset. Uh, but they have to they have to hear the whole matter. Um, you know, it, as you go through Scripture, even in the New Testament, it, it points out that a a man, uh, a woman, it cannot be referenced without a man. And then it goes on to say, "A man cannot be referenced without a woman." And that's vitally important for us to understand because uh, and and it specifically says that, hey, you can't be born unless you come from a woman. So you, you can't you can't uh, separate defining what a woman is from defining what a man is because woman is taken from man. And that's the the argument that's made in the New Testament. And we see that in Genesis one and two. Uh, right. specifically that woman, woe man is taken from, or again, fee male, um, they're, they're not, they're not uh, separate concepts. Uh, I, I will say that's not to say that you have to be married or be in a relationship. If you're a male with a female or a female with a male to have a definition, I'm simply saying, we have to go back to an ontological view that that's number one, What what is the substance of what a female is, and I would argue uh, from Genesis one and two that uh, there's two parts to this. Number one is because we're we're we believe in dualism, biblical dualism. That number one there is a, a a an image that we're created in, and that's that's really what the documentary focused on. Without really keying in on that reality, uh, if I feel a certain way, in other words, my internal inorganic. What secularists, uh, thanks to Freud, would call consciousness, uh, if if that establishes something to be real, then all of a sudden, magically, that's that's what we're going to go off of. Um, And we the last interview you and I did, and I think um, the documentary did well, as as well as Dr. Grossman of saying, is that, you know, is that what we're going to define things on and base reality on? So that's that's number one, is our spiritual, inorganic reality. And I'm going to use another big word, and we can flesh these out. Uh, so we've, we've talked about a, a tautological argument. We've looked at ontology. And the third word is, uh, that you and I have talked about quite a bit, is phenomenology. And for your, uh, uh, you know, th- those who are, are prescribed to your show and, and, and watch on a regular basis, they may not be familiar with that term. Um, a lot of uh, physicians aren't. But if you study, if you were to go study psychiatry at, for example, um, Columbia University or or some, some type of, of recognized school, you quickly find out that phenomenology is the underlying reality of psychiatry. They, they don't hide that. The entire diagnostic system is phenomenological. So if I could just briefly describe this, that is that that. Uh, we have an inorganic reality. What we would call the soul or the psych, they would call, or in Greek, soukos, uh, they would call uh, the consciousness. And essentially, we're not talking about biology here. We're talking about the very real sense that I am an inorganic person. And of course, scripture says, created an image of God. And that's that's that Second Corinthians 3 that even if we want to be changed, it has to be in reference to that, right? that that Christ that God is a spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And if we have this hope, then we also can be changed uh, into his likeness um as we progress in him. So that's phenomenology. The other aspect of this is, of course, that we're we're biological. And that was a huge discussion in the video. um and and I, I felt like the video could have done a better job of actually, pitting this this really uh, uh, significant struggle, if I can say that this way, because it, it 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 transcends the whole gender issue, right? I mean, we're talking about identity in many cases. A lot of girls with eating problems uh, struggle because they're they're seeing their body in a delusional way. They're seeing themselves as something that is not real or, they're viewing a societal image of what normal looks like, of what is acceptable weight, what a woman should look like. Again, going back to that—that that what we're, we're discussing here. Uh, so there's a biological and a phenomenological aspect uh, that I think needs to be considered.
0: So, yeah, let me let me speak to the irony of that for just a second. So first of all, they admit that in a passive kind of way but they also don't agree with that because they don't believe that we're dualistic. They believe that we're materialistic. And so we're just meat puppets. We're just meat machines. However, in order to make the argument though, that I feel like a woman, they have to distinguish between hard science and soft science. And so they have to say biology. I'm a meat puppet ontology, my substance. But then they also have to say from a, from a phenomenological argument that there is something else, spiritual, right. that we would say, soul, consciousness, we would say. Now, here's the irony. They disagree with that that dualism, but yet they have to embrace that dualism in order to feel like a, a woman. And so that's the irony in the argument. It, it's it's a confusing, contorted argument because in one in one place we're just materialistic but in order to be transgender or whatever i have to feel like and so they're talking about soft science at that point or what you're saying a phenomenological argument
1: yeah and and so a lot of people may not be familiar with what you're saying that the actual worldview, what they call uh if you if you read like richard Lewontin, uh, who was a very esteemed geneticist at harvard they called the bio social view and uh dr grossman hit on this well that this this is a social it's the fear of man driving a lot of this and and not just not just the fear of man it's actually um uh, being forced so what what uh, if i could bring in the fourth term uh another term to our conversation is epistemology which is the study of what is true and that was discussed in in this documentary um and and i'll go back to that but if if we consider what they're saying in the bio-social uh, model, of course, in, in psychiatry and psychology, it's called the biopsychosocial model. To your point, they're saying, "Hey, biology matters, uh, uh, phenomenology, psych matters, and relationships matter." Well, that, the Bible establishes all that to be true, right? True. What right. they do though is they say they believe in the biopsychosocial model. Or, or in general, the biosocial model, but they reduce everything to what you said, materialism. It's also called physicalism or uh, bioreductionism. And so they're they're looking at this um, through that very narrow lens. And, and to your point, which I think is a really, really important issue is you can't have your cake and eat it too. You, right. you, if you're going to accept that we're only biology, then you have to accept I, I include, I think, science is epistemology. So we have spiritual truth and we have natural truth. Both yeah. of those are created by God. The Bible says, Hebrews 13, God spoke the world into existence. We can go to Proverbs and see the same reality. We can go to Genesis 1, Colossians 1, et cetera, et cetera. So if we think about it this way, if if I can simplify this really, forget all the big words a second. Do we accept what is true based on? on how God created us, the the very substance that God says is real. So now we have what is true, epistemology. Um or do we go with feel? And I, I I think that takes us uh, which is just as relevant as Genesis one and two to Genesis three, where Eve said, well Satan said, did God really say? So now we're now we're attacking that truth again. Is is what God said true? And if not, what what replaces that? And that's what we're seeing. Eve followed, it says she saw and desired. So in other words, her internal feeling, her, her lust, her desire, her drawl uh, is what she based her actions in reality on. And I think that's, that's what we're seeing here. It's no different than Genesis chapter three. If I feel a certain way, forget what is actually true scientifically, biologically, I'm going to go with, with my feeling. And that's, that's problematic
0: yeah. yeah and so even if uh, you know someone's listening to this and say well i, I don't believe the bible okay that's fine for just a, for a moment let's say that we don't you still have to answer the epistemological argument because you what you said a while ago you can't have your cake and eat it too and so you've got to land the plane. let's just move the bible to this side and, and say that your source of truth is outside of scripture okay, well, what are you? Are you materialist, physicalist, or are you a dualist? Because you have to have a dualistic worldview in order to embrace that, even if the Bible was set aside. And so now I'm, I'm curious, though, so as you were listening to Dr. Grossman, she believes in the, the Torah. Did you hear any of that in her presentation? Um, because I, I did not. I,
1: I, yeah, I, I think. talking about
0: Genesis 1 and 2.
1: I think... Um, if I could key in, Matt Walsh did this as well. But if if she specifically said that gender is a linguistic term, uh, Matt Matt did the same thing in the documentary, and they're exactly right. So biological sex is a hard fact, right? It's 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 undeniable. I mean, no no one denies that. They they don't want to talk about sex. They want to talk. They'll talk about sexual orientation, but that's the key word there, right? They want to talk about. Uh, gender, because gender is a fluid construct. In in the documentary, uh, most of the people Matt Walsh interviewed, he they openly admit it's a construct. It's a created concept, and it is a linguistic word. It it actually means a genre. That's the same root word. And so if I if I can, uh, and and Rick, you were you were chasing the the right rabbit, um, and and I don't think she really realizes. Yes, dysphoria is a term that's used in psychiatry but dysphoria if if, if i can give you the real it means not content or unhappy literally they're not happy with how god made them that goes back to ontology again and so if we really get to the real issue here are we going to allow in society if someone's not happy with with a truth that their feelings now supersede the truth and everyone else should be held accountable so so now what's happening and I think this is people's real frustration, but we're afraid to say it for whatever, well, I know why. but um, if if how I feel, and, and and I do this when I counsel abuse cases, there, we're not talking about valid abuse here, but in cases where someone comes in and says, uh, "My husband's abusing me, I always ask, what do you mean by that that term? Let's set aside that. Okay. What do you mean? Let's talk about real things, facts, truths and we start talking about, and they're describing sin, that's one thing we can deal with. If they're saying, I feel like he is, by the way he he talks to me, I don't like that the way he talks to me. Well, is it is it biblical sin? Not necessarily, but I prefer that he call me this or that, whatever it might be. Now she's, or he, because I've dealt with he as well, feels a certain way and is making everyone else, including the counselor, act on on their feelings as if that is epistemology so they're they're establishing a new epistemology
0: right and I, I i'm not combative that way uh but that was the point that i was and she did say that when i asked her about yep. dysphoria Because she admitted I mean, she said in the book, and she's very right. It was a brilliant sleight of hand uh, when they went from the DSM four to the five. They had to change GID, gender identity disorder. They had to change that because they wanted to make an argument uh, that... uh, it's confusion, it's dysphoria, it's unhappiness, it's discontentment. And so changing disorder to dysphoria, it was good on their part. She makes that point. But the point that I was making, we know what they're doing and we know what that word means. And so as I asked her, why are you using that word? She said, well, nobody's ever asked me that question before. Now, right. her answer was that, well, this is a historical word. It's, it's not just a new word that they contrived in this switch from GID to gender dysphoria, but this is a a psychological word that we've used in other places in the DSM, which is true, but it's still, and she wasn't evading the point at all. Uh, So I'm not attributing that to her. but it wasn't fleshed out the way that you're doing here, because well, I've, I've come to the place and I've talked to our supporting community here at Life Over Coffee that uh, for years I've, I've said, I'm just not going to be the word police. Uh, I think sometimes Christians can play whack-a-mole uh, if you don't use the right word. You know, we just pound them over the head with a mallet. And, and that is true. Yeah. We can be very mean spirited and, and very word policey, but. I'm starting to turn well, I have turned on this. And so, but without being mean spirited about word usage and language, we have to talk about words and we really need to nail down what words mean without being harsh about it. And that's why I do not use the word dysphoria. I will use it in a shorthand conversation like what we're doing here. But when I'm trying to educate, teach, counsel, whatever, If I say gender dysphoria, I'm going to explain it and then make an appeal. Don't buy into that nomenclature because the nomenclature was a shift in language for a very specific purpose. And we're still buying into their ideology that I don't feel I feel this way or I feel that way. And dysphoria actually fits within that construct there. And so it's a bad it's a bad word.
1: Well, if if it, I think it's important too to help help the viewer to understand, there there's always a a presupposition behind this, right? right? right. Why why is that such a? And she's right, Dr. Grossman is dead on. This is a right. huge word in psychiatry, and I would argue it's an essential word because um, again, we, th- these are issues we've talked about, but I think it's relevant to our discussion here. In the early 1970s, Dr. Bob Spitzer, who who was the chair of the DSM 3 so when they were revising the DSM two, the LGBT movement came to, to the American Psychiatric Association, who who again, by the way, right. owns and controls what, what goes in and comes out of the DSM. I'm not sure if Dr. Grossman's a member of the APA, but I, I assume she probably is. Um, and, and, and by the way, I just wanna reiterate what you said, kudos to her for actually standing up uh, in a gracious way. She's a kind woman, you know? Um, But going back to this this whole DSM concept, if you open the DSM and you look, uh, which incidentally on page, uh, I think it's 20 or 21 of the new DSM-5 TR, they actually uh, openly say, we are taking the word inorganic out of the DSM completely. We only wanna pretend like there's, they don't use the word pretend, but uh, we're only gonna use the word organic. So they've shifted and they had this entire section on why they're changing the words. Again, they're wordsmithing, because if right. I can get you to think a certain way with my words. So go going back to nineteen seventy, the LGBT movement said, hey, homosexuality is not a mental disorder. Take it out or else. And so before that time, it was any delusional thinking was considered mental disorder. And what what Spitzer did was he invented more constructs, um, uh Dr. Nasir Gami, who's a really Prominent psychiatrist, he actually says you don't you don't discover over 270 types of men, any disease, a valid disease, in one year, and that's exactly what the task force did. They invented, they developed these concepts and put it in the DSM-3, and they took out homosexuality and replaced it with again. If you go to the front of the DSM, it, it's any distress or impairment that is persistent, and I'm almost quoting verbatim: any distress or impairment that is persistent so if i'm distressed about what my physical uh reality is internally then that can be counted as a mental disorder that's why that's why dysphoria it's not it's not that you're delusional now it's actually that you're unhappy with the body that god gave you and again this goes back to which
0: which means you're normal
1: well yeah i mean if 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 there is no perfect body right there's we yeah. we all, and it's and it's interesting because i've counseled men and women my wife and i have counseled people that are are by any anybody's standard are an incredibly attractive person and yet many of these people struggle with with their own image you know it's it's kind of eye opening uh, how many girls and i think it's something we need to talk about more uh, and, and again not not in regard to the concept of gender or sex, but actually weight. Things like weight is, is such a prevalent, uh, prevalent social uh, influence, and I would even say delusional in many young women because they're being taught that there's a body image that is normal. And social media, of course, has amped this up, and it's a huge, huge issue that we need to help uh, people with. So it's it's directly related to our conversation as well. How I feel uh, versus what is true. Uh, you you did um, I think uh speak on this um uh we briefly touched on it too I think the last time you and I uh did an interview but uh who gets who gets to hold others accountable for their feelings like if I if I feel like everyone should you know give me a dollar of <laughs> just you know some random thing or or that that uh we should uh you know go go NBC should should host the, the Life Over Coffee podcast, you know, twice twice a week in prime time, does that mean my feeling now supersedes what is actually true and, and the authority? I'm essentially establishing authority in what I view to be true. And of course, if I'm, I'm saying that my feelings are in whatever areas, now I become the authority. And that's what we're seeing, this pressure of you need to bow to the authority. It's not just... Um, accepting how I feel. I'm I'm comfortable accepting, you know, if, if some young lady says, I feel like a man and I'm going to go get a sex change, I'm going to do everything I can out of love just to say, this is not going to help you. And I've done this by the way. Um, but ultimately I'm not going to, you know, resist them. Uh, if I can, if I can, uh, there, there's actually a term again, this is behind the curtain of psych uh, psychiatry. Psychiatrists would know this term it's called uh, epistemic imposition, and it's it's the concept of imposing my my truth onto others. As Christians, we don't want to impose our truth. We we definitely want to share. I mean, if I really believe that God is as good as He says and is sovereign, why would I not want others to 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 have this? But in psychiatry, what they're doing, um, uh, Governor Newsom out in in, um, in California is talking about. Uh, passing a bill that if you're diagnosed as mentally disordered, that you essentially lose rights and they can do whatever they want to you. And this is taking us right back to what, unfortunately, I predicted was going to happen uh, seven years ago of of Nazi Germany. That we're now, if you if you in this eugenic concept get diagnosed as abnormal, now you're 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 gone back in evolutionary processes. The theory you're losing your rights. You're you're subhuman, if you would. And that's what we're seeing here. And, that, and that's called that epistemic imposition. Uh, what's going on in the whole transgender movement or, or gender dysphoria, gender confusion, however you want to all these different terms. It's it's one thing, you know, they try to divide all this. But essentially, it's I'm going to impose on you my phenomenology and it will be treated as epistemology. That's that's epistemic imposition or else. And that's what we're seeing. And and I'm just simply saying, if you want to get a surgery, you are entitled to that in the United States. And and it's not my place to forbid that, but it certainly is my place to speak out and not operate on your feelings.
0: Yeah. I mean, the question is, what is truth? And uh, the more that we move away from God's word as being the anchor point for truth, which is what our country was built on, yeah. now truth is just a kite in the wind, and it's whatever anyone wants truth to be at any moment in time, but it's worse than that, as you're saying, now it's being legislated. One of the things that's different with, with Chris, we don't mandate that you, I, I don't mandate that people have to believe what I believe, as you right. said, I do share what I believe with other people. But, you know, it's like Jesus talking to to the rich young ruler. Here's what you need to do. You need to sell everything that you have and come and follow me. He went away uh, because he did not want to do that. But Jesus did not make him follow him. He just presented the truth. And that is the Christian's position. That is how we communicate truth. Now, what they're doing is they're establishing so many different truth claims i mean even the truth claims are chaotic and inconsistent and contorted but they are legislating it and they're mandating it and that's where it will be a problem because yeah we are going back to uh, what we've seen in the uh, 1930s and 1940s in, in germany all right so let me all right so i'll ask you a couple direct questions give me clear succinct answers what is it
1: can, can I, can I give you one, one, uh, thing too? uh, and, you, and it's actually, re, it's, it's in regard to that answer. Yeah, okay. Um, when, when Matt Walsh was on the Dr. Phil show and you, you can see this in the documentary, um, Talking he to actually, the trans guy. yeah, he yeah, actually yeah. says, he says, essentially you are, you are in theater, You you are playing the role of a woman, which I mm-hmm. think is, is one of the most powerful things that was said in that entire documentary. Because essentially they know how to define a woman, and and you you see this this uh, they're mimicking what they know a woman to be, and so to answer your question, I would answer it first of all in three ways: uh, ontologically, phenomenologically, and biologically. And I think it has to be answered that way. Number one, well, a, wom- a woman ontologically. A woman is created by God in His image, taken from man.
0: That's the so, substance ontological. That's the substance.
1: Yep, and then uh, biologically, clearly there's a biology, both chromosomal, you know, genetic, uh, physically. I don't think. I mean, that's why surgeries are being done, right? So it, that's not an that's not an issue. Everyone knows that that's a reality, uh, even if we deny it. And then the third. Right, so is- So the-
0: ontologically, you're created a woman biologically. You yep. obviously are. This is what a woman looks like physically.
1: Yeah, and and that was alluded to, you know, pretty well in the 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 documentary. I mean, people were talking about body parts. You know, um, it's it's an obvious thing that that uh, God has made men and women differently. And, and this um,
0: gets into the uh, the anthro uh, the anthropologist uh, argument for uh, sure when the, when they excavate uh, bones from you know, 5,000 yeah. years ago, they can tell if it's a man or a woman.
1: So, and, and then the third way that, that we ne- we have to define a woman is identity. And this is, this is where um, they're focused on. And I would say because the first two are established ontological reality that I'm created in the image of God. And second of all, the epistemological, including biology, then the internal identity has to flow from those realities. If it doesn't, then then I'm going to base my identity. And again, it's not just limited to your gen. You know, the concept of gender, which is an identity. I mean, they call it uh, uh, gender identity. You know, gen- gender confusion, whatever you want to say, but it's it is an identity. Uh, there are also uh, people who identify by their sexual preference. I mean, we have an entire group of people and I, I'm not being critical, I'm just simply pointing out they they have decided to identify by that one aspect of their life. So we're all we all have an identity. A woman is one who has to identify first and foremost with with God who in the image that she was created uh, phenomenologically I'm talking about. and so it goes back to all three aspects here but ultimately it goes back to that we are a created in the image of God. And specifically woman was taken from man. And that's why we call a, I'm shocked that the names haven't changed. To be honest with you, like, whoa, man and female, I mean, just in the titles that we give the name, it, it, it points us back to that biblical reference. And so, as I was watching the documentary, the the feminists aren't even trying to remove that reality, not yet. I'm sure it'll come now, especially if they hear, hear your podcast, but uh, it has to go back to that reference. So defining what a woman is is that that uh, it's an ontological creation of God. It's a reality, both both uh, physically and spiritually, that that reflects the image of God.
0: And yeah, you, you can't have a manhole cover, and um, that that has been changed and you're a birthing person now. And so female uh, will have to go eventually, and woe man will have to go as well. All right. So ontological, uh, biological, what was the third one you said identity, or was there another word that you're using?
1: Phenomenological. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenological. Identity is phenomenological. and And I would say that biology and phenomenology both fall under epistemology because um, phenomenology can be false. I mean, by nature our hearts are deceived, as Scripture says. So, because of the fall, that's a problem. But if I'm if I'm in Christ, in other words, I accept that He is the way, the truth. In other words, there's no other epistemology. uh Every every truth flows from from His very being. If I'm in Christ, then I'm be, I'm beginning to feel right because I'm thinking right, and th- those feelings flow from right thinking. They flow from from thinking
0: biblically so and, and so the epistemological ar- argument you're talking about source of knowledge and that's you're it. saying you're saying the epistemological argument from your perspective uh is the bible is god's word to, that well, would be well, mine, to,
1: well i would say science well. too that god has created natural right? science.
0: Yep. Yep. It's, yeah yeah it's it's the word of yep. god
1: both spoken and and created and both right we both believe
0: are, in special special revelation would be god's word general revelation uh the sciences uh, uh would be yes both of those but they come from god
1: yeah and i think the the documentary did a great job of the natural science like this is this is epistemology uh there there's a there's a uh, uh i i followed dr nasir gami's podcast um he's a he was the head of Novartis pharmaceutical uh, translational medicine he teaches at harvard and tufts uh, in psychiatry very prominent psychiatrist and he he speaks openly and honestly and in one of the articles he wrote for the american psychiatric association he says our problem in psychiatry is that we've accepted postmodernism postmodernism is the idea that there is no epistle. like we there is no absolute truth again that's a that's a direct attack on god which is where we're at and he argues that there's either if that's true then nothing can be true including science and so now we have nihilism that that uh, nothing is true or anything goes i can accept everything and there is no absolute truth so your your truth is but what they're doing is saying there is no truth so i can feel how i want but how i feel now has got to be your truth All right, so
0: let's say I'm going to uh, dismiss the uh, epistemological argument from special revelation. So I do not believe God's word. Don't tweet that out. Don't take that out of context. But you still have natural revelation. Um, You still have the ontological and the biological. But if you dismiss that, this is what's going to happen, and it's already happening. And I'm just going to take the phenomenological argument, how I feel today. you have to dismiss the biological and the ontological. And now you have to engineer yourself into something according to your feelings. The truth is that's not going to work. Let me take a hyperbolic illustration. Let's say that, you know, I feel like a monkey. I want to be a monkey. And so what I have to do is I have to engineer myself into being a monkey. I have to grow hair, which would actually be nice. I would love to have some hair and I I would have to contort myself. But there is going to be... I'm going against the ontological, whether I believe it or not. I'm going against the biological, whether I accept it or not. And so if we're going to try to be delusional and pretend that those do not exist and just hang out here on the phenomenological of how I feel, There is going to be just horrendous repercussions because whether you believe it or not, that's like saying, I don't believe that eight o'clock train is going to come every morning at eight o'clock. Well, okay, believe what you want to believe. But what I recommend is that you don't stand on the railroad track at eight o'clock in the morning because it will kill you. And so I don't believe in biological or ontological, and I feel like a woman. And so I'm going to contort myself into a monkey or a woman. You can do that if you want to. But you cannot, whether you believe it or not, you can't change biology. You can't change ontology. Now, there are many people, and it's almost every day where I'm reading some article where a person has been transitioned, and now they detransition, and now the lawsuits are coming because they realize, now I'm 20-something years old, and I realize that this was a huge mistake that I made because they're going against a reality that you can pretend to ignore, but ultimately you can't ignore it. Whether you, like I reject God's word, okay, go ahead and reject it, but you can't reject what God's Word teaches, and from an ontological and biological perspective, this is hard science. It is fixed, and you right. can try to contort yourself into something else. But there's going to be a payday someday, and we're already experiencing that. And it's only going to get worse the more that we resist getting back to the epistemological argument. The more that we resist the source of truth, uh, it's going to have horrendous repercussions on people, and that's sad to watch people uh, go down this road or. Uh, our legislative branches trying to uh, mandate that we have to believe this right. uh, or right. there'll be punitive action against us. And we just can't do that from a conscience perspective because one, epistemologically, it's not true. And two, consequentially, this is going to be horrendous for a lot of people, as it already is.
1: Yeah, you I don't I hope the viewer or, or listener understands how significant what you just said is. Uh, it, we we have to go back to an ontological basis. Uh, are we created by God in His image and embodied, or do we evolve? Because th- I think this is this is what uh, the viewer needs to understand. Is they're they're actually uh, we, again the last video we did together. We we mentioned this, but the view of science. Within this biosocial or biopsychosocial model, is that you and I get to create and evolve what is true, uh, versus that God created and the truth exists. We have to go discover it. So that's that's why we love science because it, it just like we're searching for truth spiritually in the Word. We're trying to understand who the one true God is in nature. That that truth points us to the reality of God and to the Word. It's just a constant direction. It's it's. Pointing us to truth, but the truth exists. I can't go create trees if I don't have the seeds, right? And and that's essentially what we're being taught, or what kids are being taught uh, in our in our uh, public school systems and in outside of that, is that I can create, and it's really a, it's it's a it's replacing God of God spoke into existence. They're saying we can speak, we can create words and constructs and concepts and then develop those into existing. And that's what we're seeing with transgenderism. They're, they, they're thinking that they can actually v- evolve their, themselves. And then once they do it, that's why there's so much regret here uh, that, that uh, epistemic imposition is put on them, especially the kids. And I think that was the issue that was discussed with Dr. Grossman, which I appreciated so much. I mean, everybody in their right mind knows that a child cannot make decisions for themselves usually in a discerning way. And so to, to mutilate the body and like that is just, uh, it's an absurdity. I, I also think it's important for us to understand um, when we talk about wordsmithing, uh, we we cannot think apart from words. And when God says to let his word dwell in us, when he says that he desires to dwell with us, that his name in Revelation is the word of God. In, in uh, John chapter one, he's called the Logos. In the beginning was the Lagos. And it goes on to say in, in verses one through five that He created all things. Again, going back to that ontological argument, which is our presupposition. If 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 I know that God created me, then everything about me is gonna be understood in reference to Him. Anthropology and theology aren't separate issues. And so if I can create words that take us away from that reality now I start thinking differently. And that's exactly, again, going back to the word gender as, as just a, a quick example, but the whole evolutionary concept that I can develop things or, um, I can create identities just from wordsmithing is a reality in our culture. And, and people are being faced with this uh, day in and day out. They just don't realize it.
0: Yeah. So, so let's uh, talk about the source of this, uh, pheno- phenomenological <laughs> argument. Uh, I feel like a woman, uh, so you, a while back, you mentioned two sources, one internally and externally. Uh, internally, uh, there's something going on inside of the person. And so question one, w- what is going on inside of the person? This insecurity, uh, this this feeling that they have, flesh that out. And then two, externally, we're being gaslit. Uh, we're being manipulated. Uh, part of the manipulation comes because there is a full on agenda uh, to uh overtly make us think this way because they have an agenda but um young girls for example and that's what has hockey stick since 2010 it used to be boys uh and they still do transitioning to girls but now there's more girls doing it and so uh this external manipulation what's going on there but question number one uh what is going on inside of a person that feels this phenomenon they have that they feel like a woman or or a, a guy or a girl feel like i feel like a boy
1: well let's start with normal human nature again going back to ontology uh what you know what we've been saying let's go back let's go back to to how god created us uh, and then right after that, the fall. So God created us, number one, to be in fellowship with him. So our entire existence is meant to be in fellowship with him. When that's not taking place, there's there's going to be problems. And, and we see that again in Genesis chapter three. Now, all of us are born delusional. Romans one makes this very clear that the only way that we can suppress truth isn't in unrighteousness. It's not that I can say no to God and not do unrighteousness. And of course, Romans one. One of the things it says is that you will end up doing absurd things that don't even make sense. Like it's 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 maddening. Like how 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 could you do that? Um, but I want to I want to point out that um, if if the viewers are honest, if you and I are honest, we have very real feelings that are incredibly sinful, incredibly destructive, incredibly repulsive to those of, of us who are in Christ. Like if I told you my 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 desires and my feelings from this week, let let's water it down. Let me back up. Feel like getting up this morning, you know? Just how many how many feelings do we have that are counterintuitive, that go against uh, success, go against us actually growing and progressing, uh, being a better uh, uh, person in society, let alone a better relationship with christ and those around us so my feelings are I, there's days i wake up and i don't feel like being a dad i don't feel like being a husband does that mean because i feel a certain way that that's the the words and the and the the quote unquote and it's not truth but is that what i follow and i think we have to go back to uh, uh to just two quick references ecclesiastes 9 3 as well as, as jeremiah seventeen nine. i cite these a lot because they they show that the heart is deceitful above all things. And then verse 10 of Jeremiah 179 says, who can know it? And, and it's of course God who searches the heart it says there. So my phenomenological reality is that every day I wake up I'm deceived. If I'm not filling my mind with truth and taking those thoughts captive, I can count on it that my feelings will guide me and I'll, I'll go eat whatever I feel like eating. I'll go, and that's how we get into sin, because the, the truth is not setting us free. The truth is not captivating our hearts. It's not dwelling in us. It's not the words that that we're thinking. And so now you take this grand, like, how, how could somebody fall into adultery? And I say fall. It's, it's a way of thinking. They, they don't just fall into it, right?
0: There's breadcrumbs that lead to adultery, yes.
1: That's, that's right how it's, it's following that feeling, right? And so whether it's a huge, a huge error, what we would count as a huge error, or me just not getting out of bed and missing a meeting when I'm supposed to, both of those reflect that deceitful heart. If I'm going to follow my feelings, it's going to get me in trouble. If I, if I truly purpose to follow truth, so that's, that's one thing. The other is again, um, people in especially in authority speaking into these people's life. I, I just recently counseled um a young man, actually a family. Uh he was told by numerous people that he was homosexual and began to believe it to the point now that he struggles with that.
0: Because Okay, so that all right, so I want to move to the external uh on pin that first because now we're getting to into the external manipulation. Uh so the internal is um we are born disordered, and so our souls are disordered. And so, if we have these feelings, I don't want to get up in the morning. I don't want to talk to Rick to do this interview. I don't want to be a husband, wife, whatever. Uh, that's that's part of who we are, and so we have to anchor ourselves back into truth of God's word. Uh, this is the Augustine quote, which I will botch. That you know, we'll not find <laughs> our status, our satisfaction. Or what did he say? Until it's in the won't find rest until it's in him or God yeah, alone. Yeah. Anyway, I messed all that up. Uh, but it's true. We're born as disordered souls. We call it total depravity. And and so we're just broken inside and out. The noetic effect of sin. Our minds are distorted as you're talking about, delusional. That just makes you quite normal. And and right. hopefully that twisted normalcy would drive us to God to where we can be anchored in truth and we can be conformed into Christ's likeness and experience sanity. Christ is sane. All of us are insane. And so knowing that and recognizing that I'm not abnormal, uh, I'm like everybody else. uh, I I have these uh, untoward desires. But then uh, If we keep lingering on those thoughts, and now we can move into external manipulation. Now, one of the ways that you mentioned it just now is that we can give into it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to eat my, you know, find my comfort food so I can feel better Mm -hmm. or just go out and commit adultery. Now, these external things are going to affirm and conform me into this feeling that I have. But then there's more than that. There's more than just the decisions I make that uh, entrench me in these delusions. But there's also other mechanisms like social media platforms and social cultural evangelists that are they're like uh they're out on the periphery and they're waiting and watching hoping that they can pounce on us to right uh, help us to continue down this path that we already sense somewhat internally and so now you were speaking to the external manipulation
1: yeah i i i, I mean Ephesians two uh verses one through three i mean we could go obviously through through 10 looking at uh, how God saves us by grace through faith, but uh, verses one through three, he kind of gives the evil trinity there that that uh, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins following, and he, he gives us three things, our own flesh, which is what we just talked about, that internal deceit. Uh, but then he gives the two other uh, legs to that evil trinity, which is the world system, the the age we live in, and then the devil himself. Uh, the father of all lies. So we have, we have three, um, you know, th- this, this theological stool, if you would, uh, three legs of evil, uh, that, that constantly are drawing us into deceit, that internal feeling, but then also how the world is telling us we should feel. Uh, and then third of all, the, the, um, uh, the devil himself tempting us. And, and so there's, there's an external influence and. I think we have to start with ourselves it's easy to say oh the devil made me do you know we, we right. love doing that um right. but certainly biblically correctly and if we're to think correctly uh we have to take in into account that our our relationships directly influence us I mean that that's one of the the things about children you, you look at children if I can use pornography as well uh it it's it's a secular uh, uh, well-known fact, but I would say just in, if you've done any counseling with, with people who are heavily, and I'll use the word addicted to pornography, it, it becomes very clear, uh, that, that the younger they're exposed to these things where, where they're not meant to be, the deeper the struggle, it becomes ingrained in, in their thinking in a way that, um, and, and it's not just neuroplasticity where the brain conforms to our patterns of thinking and behaviors. It It's, it's, uh, uh, So in in Ephesians 2, if we went back to Ephesians 2, right after it talks about those three tiers, it says the lust of the the mind or the flesh, uh, the lust of the mind and the flesh. So there's a physical and a spiritual now. There's a craving that our minds can actually develop in our bodies. And I think a lot of addiction, what we call addiction, comes from I want something and, and you repeat it so often that your body begins to crave it. Your flesh begins to crave it. And I, I think it's true even with, um, you know, it, it's interesting to hear some of these testimonies of people that have actually gone through the surgery. And it's usually looking at the opposite sex and admiring them and having a right admiration and, and saying, wow, that's beautiful. But instead of appreciating it and enjoying it as God intended, they now want to become that. So they look at themselves and say, "I'm not beautiful. If I want to be beautiful, I have to be that." So that's the beginning of that delusional thinking. Um, of course, it doesn't help help to have a culture that's now pushing it. Right. I, I just recently heard of a kid. Um, kids are being pressured in school. I mean, the cool thing is to say, "I'm gay" or "I'm trans," and that's not me saying it. That's that's real life counseling situations that kids are going through in it's our the culture. Fad. It, it's a fad. It is a fad. You know, for me. Growing up it was jams and and bugle boys and and you know uh, uh British Knights and what and Nike and whatever else you know now it's it's really heavy stuff that that has very detrimental effects on a, a child's identity um their their concept of of even who God is and um it, it's intentional you know the, the devil's intentional in that
0: where does self-worth fit into this?
1: um well i i would say self-worth has to go back to identity you know that's that's my uh strong biblical belief that uh god finds incredible worth in us and if we're we're looking elsewhere i mean all of us need to have have worth um you and i i mean we we've we've talked we know that like in in our own private uh thoughts like we question ourselves we question you know where god has us. like. What, what am I doing pastoring? You know, what What are you doing speaking to, you know, 70, 100,000 people plus, you know, every week or, you know, basically every day at this point? Uh, why? You know, and if we don't go back to our worth being in God because he, because of who he is, that he can call us priests and he can call us saints, not because of anything in us, then, then we ha- we should be questioning that. And I think that's part of human nature again, as well. Going back to that—that that what is normal, that ontological basis. Um, and and if I can give any hope, you know, to those that are struggling with this, maybe somebody's listening that's struggling. Uh, the the reality is, you know, as James one says, each is drawn away by his own deceived lust, and and the text actually points that out that it's deceit. It draws us away. Other passages actually call it deceitful lust, like in Ephesians chapter four. You're not abnormal for for having deceived thinking. Your, your particular thinking uh, may be absurd to you. It may be absurd to others around you, but we're all drawn away in our own particular way. And there is hope for that. And the only hope is the truth that sets us free. So the only remedy to false thinking, no matter how deeply ingrained it is, no matter how perverted it is, is, is God's truth. Um, and, and that is hope.
0: All right, so we have a couple minutes here. We're going to wrap up. So just uh, give me your, your brief and amazing responses to my two questions. Um, question number one, what is a woman, the documentary? What were some of the pros, a couple of the pros, a couple of the cons? What is a woman documentary?
1: Uh, the, the pros, I think, just showed the, the unwillingness for, for seculars to dialogue about truth. They, they want to talk about people's feelings but they're imposing their view of, of epistemology based on a feeling. So you, you can see this vividly, especially with the uh, sociologist in the, in the video uh, words like I'm, I'm offended. I don't feel safe anymore. Like, you know, and, and Matt is asking questions. So, I mean, it, it, it was sad to me, but it was comical right. because I know for a fact those people don't really believe that, but that's their defense mechanism, you know, I, I had a, well, anyway, uh, quickly, right? <laughs> Stay focused. Um, well, yeah,
0: it, it reminded me of a libs of TikTok uh, on the X platform where all they're doing is just, sh- uh, all that lady's doing is showing uh, clips of what they believe. And so... It's showing the hilarity, the ridiculousness and the delusion of what they believe. Uh, Matt was just doing that, just letting them speak. And the more that they spoke, yeah, it it was silly and one way of looking at it, but it was also sad. Uh, But I do like your point that. They don't really believe that anyway. Uh, no. They're, they're pushing an agenda. All right. So they, it, it, ex, it exposed. And so that's good. What was the, uh, what would be a, a negative of the documentary or it didn't go far enough Or
1: Yeah. As, as I said, it was, um, it, it didn't get past the tautological argument, um, in, in its, uh, presentation. It ended with that, that defining a woman as a, as a female, which is again, defining, a woman uh, with a woman so i i and then second of all again to be fair to matt i think you have to go back to a biblical understanding of of uh, and again i would argue what a male is too i mean we we haven't even talked about what a male is right
0: he's a Um, dude
1: right right uh i also if i can give one more positive i loved what matt said he said three things of why he's doing this motive and i think this is a really good motive for us which I think is a is a really encouraging thing about the documentary, is right. that we should care about truth. Um, right. Number one, number two, we should care about children, which means we speak the truth in love. You know, we don't have to be hateful and ugly uh, uh, as as our if I can say opponents are. And then third of all, we we care about women. I mean, if you really want to right. uphold womanhood, then don't right. pervert it. I mean, the the women's sports issue we have. Like these, these, you know, I have three daughters, uh, women's sports is becoming obsolete. I mean, it's, it's men are, 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 are taking over pretending like, you know, but it's,
0: all right. Go ahead. Brief, brief. The uh, I am up against the timeline uh, yep. with our Rumble, yep. Rumble TV show. The uh, the 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 other the interview we're talking about with Dr. Miriam Grossman, it's an interview I did uh, with her book, Lost in Transnation. If you haven't watched that interview, I would encourage you to do sure. so, but that's the interview that you can find at lifeovercoffee.com, Lost in Transnation with Dr. Miriam Grossman. You really just have a minute here, and so Pro con of that uh, interview I had with Dr. Grossman. Uh,
1: i I think she did an excellent job of just showing um, that this is not loving if 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 a physician really holds to their oath, they cannot be butchering children that have no right. discernment. Um, right. the con again, um I, I, I think the dysphoria. Uh, concept. I don't think she realizes that that's a central feature that they view you as mentally ill if you're struggling internally with distress. And so that's a whole nother issue. But um, I felt like that, that uh, she didn't give a good answer on that. And I think you chased the right rabbit on that. So
0: this is Dr. Daniel Berger. Uh, We were talking about what is a woman, Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for joining me. And you can find this on our Rumble TV show. Uh, that airs uh, Sunday at 1 p.m. but is archived so you can find it on rumble and you can also find this at lifeovercoffee.com thank you so much for listening watching god bless thanks for joining us learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com